Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. All right, let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to Stop Telling and Start Listening. I'm your host, David Cook. This is um, one of the highlights of my week is every week I get a chance to have an opportunity to share my thoughts, lessons, and experiences regarding the power of listening and the impact of great listening behaviors that, that have on building trust, improving relations, and solving complex problems. What makes this hour so special for me is I get to have powerful conversations with others like my guest, Monica Guzman, who, is, who are living their commitment to productive communication and are celebrating the impact their effective listening activities have on the lives there of the people they are working with. You know, uh, today's guest is Monica Guzman. I came across her via an interview she had at my alma mater's January lecture series. Every year they have a couple of great guests and I don't listen to them all, but I pick out a few and Monica's was definitely one of it. And I immediately went out and bought her book. I never thought of it that way. And it's uh, it's an, uh, an amazing book. There were, I'll, I'll talk to Monica about you guys. Is it was the third in a series for me. The first one was Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. I think she set the tone really beautifully for um, basically, I, I feel like Brene wrote that book at the time when um, President Trump came into office and people were really disoriented, like, wow, what is going on? And then the next book that I read was uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. And Adam Grant took things to another level, allowing ourselves to um, challenge what we believe, what we know or believe to be true and test being willing to test the hypotheses of what we know to be true to make sure that it's still true for us today. And then Monica's book shows up and she takes it to an entirely different level where from her personal stories and her personal experiences, she dives down and says, let's talk about how we can have better conversations. And she even um, uses her uh, own personal experiences um, as the as the child of two Mexican um, immigrants who are clearly on a different uh, polarizing side of uh, things politically. And I love the way she tells her story. And so, um, you know, one of the things that that always struck me is, is that we learned a lesson very early on as, as kids is there's two things you don't talk about, politics and religion. And that was just kind of a rule because people, you know, can get pretty intense and stuff like that. But I've, I, as a kid growing up, my mom and dad were um, very politically active, very um, religiously active. So we talked about stuff rather openly and we, and I experienced intense debates and intense discussions. But the funny thing is, is that as a kid growing up, I kind of followed my parents' path. And so what they believed, I learned to believe, and what they, the environment that I grew up in, what they accepted, I accepted. And I, and I think I evolved, you know, in, in the environment that I was developed in. And the only time that I broke from that was when I went away to a school that was extremely religiously conservative and politically conservative, which was a departure from how I was raised. And so I was confronted with how do I navigate, you know, strong opinions of people and that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, that, that was that was my thing. So when Monica shows up and says, yeah, you know, how do we how do we deal with um, with Trumpsters and how do we deal with liberals? Not that we like labels, but it's an easy way to start the conversation talking about that. And so that I, I just love the book. And, and again, the name of the book, and we'll talk about that more specifically with Monica, but, you know, I never thought of it that way. It's it's a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book and it encourages us to explore and dive into our own curiosity um, to, to learn from others, even if it makes us uncomfortable, it gives us a spot to a challenge, challenge ourselves to say, what do I, what can I learn from the person sitting across from me that I'd love to disagree with vehemently? So, um, Monica, I just, you know, wanted to have a short interview or short introduction because I just want to dive in and talk to you. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I mean, you are singing my song right now, so this is going to be fun. Oh, good. You know, right out of the gate, it's probably a challenging question, but um, I'm curious, uh, from personal experience, 
I've always felt like, you know, the people that I've grown up with or the people that I met in school and that kind of stuff um, generally followed their parents just like I did, you know, kind of like this is how I grew up and this is the way I was raised and this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. So what happened to you? How did you end up on the other side? (laughs) That's a great question. I think my dad is still scratching his head going, what did we do wrong? Uh, Not, I mean, they're very proud of me, but on the political side, it was clear to my parents that, whoa, what there's, this must not have been anything we did. So me and my brother both turned out to be pretty, pretty definitely liberal. And we knew it from middle school on, and it didn't really form into an identity, maybe until college and after. But, but there was a contrast with my parents pretty immediately. What's what's interesting about our story is because we are Mexican immigrants, I ended up being able to vote around the same time that my parents did. Mm-hmm. So I became a citizen at the age of 17 when they became naturalized as American citizens. And there's this sense of we had been waiting. We'd been waiting for the chance to participate in American politics and American democracy. And then we got it. And then we disagreed. <laughs> we disagreed how to do it. So, uh, yeah, uh, my dad will probably never know. I think it's what we carry within us. I don't think that there's anything they could have done short of really nasty coercion, right, to to force me to to make me anything different than what I am. So when you when you discovered when you came to the reality that you, you your mom and your dad and you and your brother were kind of sitting in different places, um, how did that? How did that work out at home? I mean, did you, was we guys throwing plates and glasses and chairs at each other when you disagreed, or mm-hmm. how did how did it go in the early stages? Yeah, I I suppose it's helpful to lay out the context a bit. M- my mom and dad are both pretty unfiltered people, and that is a family culture thing that that we still have. We don't tend to be quote polite to each other, which isn't to say that we're not kind. We're very kind and loving, but not necessarily polite. So yeah, we didn't hold back very much. That's for sure. We would say, oh, you know, that's why would you say that's terrible, blah, 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 and just dig in. What I recall is the the table that we had in our kitchen and staying long after the plates were empty of food to continue to talk about you know, whatever it was, gay marriage in the 90s or Clinton's welfare policy or gosh, I mean, you name it. These things would come up just because they were in our world. Some of it felt generational, although I wasn't conscious of that at the time. But uh, but but yeah, my my parents were not very much the kinds of folks who would say, oh, let's not talk about this. They would just get into it with us. And so it would just go on and on. Mm, Excellent. It's interesting because um, my dad, and this is the way I learned, this is the way I learned to argue, and I think I've modified it as I grew up, but my dad had an approach that I would call it the scorched earth approach to arguing. It would be the idea, I'm going to win at all costs because I want to prove that I'm right. And so in the end, you know, people would end up leaving and doors would be slammed and feelings would be hurt. And over the course of time, some people would recognize that, you know, the emotions got the best of them and we would reconcile and other people say, I'm not going there anymore because I can't stand the, you know, the the verbal abuse of the experience. So that was my that was my childhood learning to debate and argue. And I've thank goodness I've 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 matured. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so the quest to be right and the quest to be good and the quest to be in control have have tamped down. But it's interesting because we get so passionate about what we believe in certain things that it's mm-hmm. hard to hear when we're advocating. Exactly. And to give an example from from my family, my mom became a pro-life advocate on the abortion issue when I was in high school. She taught at my high school. It's a Catholic high school. And she started the Right to Life Club. And um, I remember when I realized that I was pro-choice and starting those conversations at home. She was also working at a clinic that counseled women um, who had had abortions and had mixed feelings about it or were wondering if they ought to have abortions. And she took that work very seriously. And she would come home sometimes devastated, carrying a lot of people's pain. Um, and I remember when we talked about that, I I would 
I would see that in her, you know, I, I saw her come home. I saw how heavy this was for her. And, and I think if I hadn't seen that, I might've come out a little more guns blazing. Right. But instead there was a gentleness because I knew and to this day, how much she cares for the unborn, how, how she can be at the edge of tears sometimes talking about it. And so that awareness is part of our conversation. That's awesome. So you do bring, um, like you said, awareness, but there's, there's presence, there's empathy, there's understanding, there's compassion at the, at the core of the conversation because, you know, you guys have it. So you never quite lose control because of the respect and connection that you have at, um, at an entirely Mm -hmm. different level. And we can, we can go to places that, you know, you, you, you can tell, Oh, that's touchy. Shouldn't have said that, Mm, you know, that came out wrong, mom, hang on, let me back up. Here's what I meant, you know? So conversations are messy and it's one of the things that's easy to forget. We are so, conditioned these days to perform, perform on social media, make sure you're saying the right things and not saying the wrong things. Assume that the people invisibly listening to what you say on Facebook are going to judge you at the first opportunity. So we really are performing. We're borrowing talking points from others. And it's fairly rare really these days for us to to dig down and ask ourselves what we really think and feel. And you know, let alone feel secure enough sharing that with someone who disagrees. That's tough. But conversations are messy. They're supposed to be. They're not scripted out. Nobody's perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, and I feel like when, when we come to them with a little bit of grace and flexibility, I think we can find that people, that the entire context allows for more forgiveness than we think. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. It, it, I love that you say that. It recognizes that conversations and relationships, conversations, relationships, those are messy. They're complicated. I think it was like Steve Martin in the movie Parenthood said, I hate messy, you know, because it's so messy. Um, but the reality of it is that's that's what it is. Um, you know, you were, and that I think that's when, when a lot of coaching that I do in, with communication, it's that, is that, you know, contrast to you and I, you, you're, you were raised a certain way with a certain background, with a certain set of values. You went to a certain school and all that stuff. And, and your lifetime experiences are different than mine. So when you and I come to this conversation, we already are very different from each other. Even if we can find places to agree, there's plenty of places that say, wow, our lives are entirely different. Right. You know, right. so. Right. You know. And it's, it's, it's one of the most it's the biggest chances, the chance we have to illuminate each other, right? We are all limited by our experience. And there's a certain way of knowing that is very strong because you were there. You know it, you experienced it, you experienced the pain, the struggle, you saw the thing, right? So the ways that we learn beyond our own experience is being open to the experiences of others and their interpretations and allowing those layers to sort of come down above our own layers and make the whole world more complicated, but also more true. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been held at gunpoint, but when I talked with my friend who had, I understood why he came to a very different position on gun regulation, gun rights, all of that. And if I hadn't known that about him, it would have been maybe a little harder for me to try to understand the difference between us. But so much of the perspectives that we hold are about the paths we've walked. So uncovering those paths, getting curious about where people come from becomes a great way to know where they are. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you, um, I don't remember if it was in the book, but it's the, you talked about, it's kind of like before, before we engage in the, in the learning conversation about who we are and where we come from, you touched on this is being clear on who we are and what we stand for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a struggle because we're, you know, that, that's why I really love Brene's, book at the time that she wrote it because she talked about the I think it's the five P's or the four proving performing pleasing perfecting trying to be something that we're not so that we find an opportunity to be accepted what we're doing is we're denying who we are to get accepted and then we find ourselves accepted we go these aren't my people (laughs) exactly and Adam Grant has I think a framework around you know preaching and persuading and Mm. also a lot of P's but yeah yeah, it, it does end up being you know anything to keep from having to look inside where maybe I'm wrong or I'm imperfect or I'm whatever. It's like, but I, I find a lot of strength and confidence 
in people who are very secure, just saying exactly what they think and feel and saying it not in a mean way, not in a superior way, but in a way where they're sort of submitting it into the group's understanding and then asking for their perspectives. But I might be missing something, but I might be wrong. But I don't know. What do you all think? Mm-hmm. You know, people think that's weakness, that that's a lack of confidence. It's just the opposite. It's strength. At a time like this, what's strong is not conforming to what you think you're supposed to believe. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful statement. Um, yeah, back to Adam Grant. Yeah, it's the four P, the three P's. It's the preacher, the the prosecutor, and the yes. politician. That's it. Yep, that's and, it. Thanks for triggering me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I remember these things because I'm not that smart a guy. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, very interesting. So, you know, then we get into the situation and, and um, you, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that the best way to learn from somebody is to create a safe space for them to share their story. You know, so I'm I'm back in that space, like you said, is I'm I'm confident in what I believe, why I believe, how I've arrived where I'm at. But that's not the that's not the important thing. The important thing is understanding what you believe, why you believe, and how it influences your decisions. Because now, if I understand how you see the world, how you experience the world, then I can speak to you on a level of greater context, greater right. awareness, greater understanding. You know, so that, that's, that's right. And one of the best ways we don't think about this very often, but one of the best ways for me to get clarity on what I think is for me to put myself in a situation where there's a contrast, right? So for example, if I'm talking to someone and all of a sudden they surprise me because they disagree with something that I believe, and then I watch myself go, what? That's that's sort of a signal to me that, wow, apparently I really care about that. Wait, what do we even think about that thing? Hang on, let, let me let me reflect, right? So So that's the danger of living lives where we try to avoid that friction. And we see the patterns where we're moving to be closer to like-minded people, where we don't want a lot of discomfort in our lives. And one of the ways that we can assure that is to make sure that we're not bringing up conversations that might be contentious even a little bit. But that means, paradoxically, that we end up not knowing ourselves very well either. If we're yeah. not allowing that contrast to reveal those parts of ourselves that we not may not have noticed matter to us. And we tamp down the the areas that might be in conflict so we can conform easier. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You very early in the um, book, you don't mind if I t- give people little snippets of your book, do you? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> very early in your book, I think you talked about SOS. See, I do remember things, but uh, what was it? It was separation othering, and then siloing. Yeah, it was sorting, othering, and siloing. Thank you, sorting, Yes, yes, but separation is pretty much the same thing. But, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, it's a beautiful beautiful breakdown of, you know, how it happens because we start out by saying, um, and and I was going to ask you, I'll first tell you, but it's a beautiful way of breaking down because the first thing we do is we find we find the people that make us feel most comfortable, the, where we're safe, where it's not messy, where it's not inconvenient, where it's comfortable because life we want life to be comfortable. We want things to be easy. We don't want to be disturbed. And then the othering is, is once I've decided that I found my platform and I'm right, mm-hmm. then I can now dehumanize, you know, and Brene Brown talks about we dehumanize people you. or you make them others. Yep. And, you know, we talk about those people, you know, I could like, I could, you know, use the term and not to be offensive, but I could call people Trumpsters or we could call right. them liberals. We could label them right. in a way that makes it convenient for us. And the last piece is siloing because now that we figured out who my peeps are, what I do is I just make sure I structure my whole world around this is all I'm dealing with. Exactly. Is that, is that pretty much how you? That's exactly right. And I think you, I think you put it in some ways better than I ever have. I mean, that's it. We, we well, end up doing it. It's not that we're intending to be so misanthropic, right? Fear of other people. It's, it happens almost automatically, especially because our technologies already incentivize us to just chase our emotions, chase what makes us comfortable, almost without thinking. And mm-hmm. this is where we end up. Mm-hmm. So my, my thought process, the first thing that jumped out after I read that part, I'm going, ah, this is brilliant. So, you know, thank you for, you know, it, I may have been able to paraphrase it well, but obviously somebody wrote it well. So congratulations. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was thinking way back in, this could have been 10, 12 years ago, but Seth Godin wrote a book about, you know, find, basically about finding your tribe. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that was a really powerful thing because you want to be 
you want to be with the people that make you um, feel the best or, you know, perf- yeah. you know, most effective and most. So there's a, it, it, there's, how do you navigate the slippery slope? I think that's a great question because sorting is how we make friends. It's, it's the, the birds of a feather phenomenon. There's a bunch of names for it and it's been studied to death. You know, we know that when we find common interests, we, we, we gravitate toward each other and that's beautiful. It's actually a, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, it becomes bad when it keeps us from having contact with people with other perspectives at a time when those other perspectives can appear so bad and so threatening. So if it weren't for the high level of political polarization, the high level of vilification and threat that people sense, then maybe this wouldn't be such a big deal. We would just be like, oh, you know, we're this click and there's that click over there and it's fine. But if you think that that click is out to get you, then it's not so fine. And you never interact with that click. So you start to think that they're monsters. You forget that you share a lot of things in common and that they've probably come to their perspectives through not so malevolent means. It becomes easy to believe that they believe what they believe because they're bad or they're stupid or they're crazy, which is uh, which I, I think of as the three condescensions. You know, you're crazy, you're stupid, you're evil. Once you believe that to yourself in a conversation, curiosity becomes really hard because now you're condescending. You know, you're not curious. You feel superior. Mm-hmm. You feel right. Now you're just now you're just at the zoo watching the animals. And that's what we do to each other sometimes. Uh, and it's it's wrong. And it's also just keeps us from seeing the truth. Yeah. It's interesting. So the so the siloing, or what'd you call it? No, it's the other uh, the first one is not sorting. 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 So sorting in in a healthy manner isn't a bad thing. Mm, no. It's but when we turn it into the othering piece and we and we allow it to become toxic to us, you know, right. We're, right. we're right, they're crazy, we're you know, they're wrong. Um, I'm in I'm in control, this is the way I, things have to be, and I'm gonna make them conform and all that is them, that's all the theming stuff. That's yeah. when it becomes that's when it becomes toxic yeah. and to society and to our own in, into our own lives. Exactly. And another thing to think of is that when you share your interests, you will share your blind spots. So it's not just about the vilification. It's also that if we're all walking around in too many of these silos, without those silos communicating with each other generously, we're going to become stupid, right? Because we're just going to be hearing some of the same ideas unchallenged, combined with this righteousness that might be undue. And so that's sort of where we are too, which is why to me it comes down to we're so divided, we're blinded. Uh, one of the big problems in polarization is that we're not even seeing the world for what it is. We're just, you know, fighting with these projections in our heads of who people are. But that's not who they actually are. But we're too afraid to get close enough to see who they actually are. So it's just this terrible, vicious cycle. It's interesting because, you know, as I'm watching, you know, the, the listening to the dialogue, not not in Washington, D.C., but listening to the dialogue of people talking about why they believe and what they believe. We all, in a lot of respects, we all on wherever you sit are all in agreement on what we really want. We want, you know, we want to be connected. We want to be loved. We want to be valued. We want to be supported. We want to. And we're look, we're all in search of the same thing as human beings. Yet for some reason, we've we've created this divide and we don't believe the other side of whatever the argument is wants the same thing yeah exactly and that's where we um there's a van jones who's a commentator has this quote that i love that don't let the battleground obscure the common ground there's always some common ground and i've heard people say no there isn't you know with this or that issue there's no common ground with abortion the common ground is Fewer unwanted pregnancies. Both sides are on board for that. Mm-hmm. Cool. You could start there. You know, you may not solve everything. You won't solve everything, but you could start there. Uh, the nonprofit where I work, Braver Angels, has held events where we found common ground around elections among people who believe that voter fraud is like a problem and is rampant and people who believe that the problem is voter suppression, 100%, right? The mm-hmm. disenfranchisement. And then they find the common ground that, hey, we need to do some things to ensure that our elections are secure 
and accessible, mm-hmm. right? So you start to see, you see the parameters of what you need and you start to get creative again instead of afraid. When we're afraid, our brains are all about survival, right? Yeah. Run or fight. That's all we can do. But we do actually become stupid when you're afraid. You need to run. You're not thinking. You're right. not thinking. I'm getting out of here. That's it. Yeah. I'm gone. Yep. I'm checking out. Yeah, that's very true. I never thought about it. I love the, the the context that you put with elections. I never thought about that before. <laughs> or, yeah, there we're, you go. We're, we're in agreement. We want, we want, you know, better participation and we want reliable election, you know? Yeah. So, when it's too polarized, it starts to feel that the people worried about voter fraud, you know, don't want anyone to be able to vote. Like, that's not true. You know, so it's like you have to bring all you have to bring the whole into focus before you can see where you've exaggerated beyond reason. And we all tend to do that when times are this crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. I can't believe that we're already to our break so fast, but we are um, at our break. And when we come back, I'm going to uh, we'll talk a little bit more about um Monica's book. I never thought of it that way. And some of the little um, precious nuggets that are in there. Stay tuned. Thank you. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, Too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope, and according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, Host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. We all struggle with relationship tensions in the home or at work or with a loved one. Often that tension causes us to avoid communicating with that individual because it usually ends up in a fight or an argument that only makes things worse. In the show Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook shares the lessons of his personal experiences to help you engage in healthy, insightful conversations for healing broken or damaged relationships. After a successful professional career as a sales pro, executive, and consultant, David Cook discovered, in a significant, transformational way, the impact a shift in listening had on the father-son relationship during his youngest child's struggles with a heroin addiction. After loving his son with various reactive behaviors of shame, guilt, criticism, judgment, David discovered that when he made a commitment to understand his son's struggles, to learn about the addiction journey from his son's perspective and meet him where he was in his addiction, David realized he was rebuilding their relationship in powerful, influential ways. David's show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, provides listeners guidance and insight to the powers of listening, selfless listening. Instead of avoiding the people we are struggling to understand or communicate with, David provides listeners with tools they can utilize to facilitate an authentic, safe sharing of personal and real perspectives and experiences. He teaches us how to navigate into areas of communication tension to help repair broken or damaged relationships, build trust with those we need to lead or support, and solve complex problems with impactful, lasting solutions. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific for a listening session that will help close the divide that exists or is developing between you and others in your community. 
Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is David Cook, and we are on Stop Telling and Start Listening with my uh, very exciting guest, Monica Guzman, who wrote this book, What um, I've Never Thought of It That Way. And we were talking before the break about um, the fact that, you know, if we were to remove our fear and create a space for ourselves to actually be willing to just, you know, listen and learn and explore the possibilities that we find that there's there are things that we actually do agree on even if we if, even if on the surface it looks like no way we're in alignment and that's pretty much a is that a safe a safe summary there Monica? yeah absolutely yeah all right so one of the things that you put in um that a quote that was in your book that i just totally loved i thought it was a great exercise was what am i missing mm. And I love that because uh, it's it. What it does is it in in the course of the of the conversation, I have the things that I believe. I have the things that I know. I have my truths and all that other stuff. And I'm listening to you talk, and I'm going, okay, yeah, I hear, I hear, I hear. But if you step back and you ask that question, hmm, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. That just challenges me to open up and explore um, more. Uh, receptive space to have you have you share um, what more about what it is that I need to learn from you is that Mm -hmm. yeah no and it's it's very helpful for me just personally when I am in conversation with someone it's one-on-one and I'm I catch myself in a judgment right where I think oh they're just saying that because of x Mm -hmm. and then I go wait a second that's a judgment you don't know that stay curious and then it's, what What am I missing? What are you missing? What angle are you not seeing? And it's often just something something in their path, something that matters to them that I haven't fully like revealed yet or that hasn't been revealed yet. But of course, the only way that that person is going to feel comfortable revealing anything to me is if I don't make it a horrible experience, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So so it's that too. It's It's about... I mean, here's one of the lovely things about curiosity is when you are really interested in an adventurous way about something, it can be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So, so when you become a bit of a detective, wait a minute. So, so what's going on there? What led you to that conclusion? That's fascinating. So it doesn't, we, we think that these conversations are so unpleasant but um, research into into these kinds of conversations show there is a lot of there are there can be a lot of uncomfortable, unpleasant moments, but they can be followed pretty immediately by tension releasing laughter or a joke. You know, if you can get to that dynamic where you get some pluses and some minuses, some pluses and some minuses, then a conversation sort of generates friction and challenges people's beliefs, but can go on a long time. So it's only when it starts to get nothing but negative. People stop being able to release tension or smile or see the goodwill that then, okay, something's burning. Time to time to take it off the heat. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You know, we had, uh, this was probably 30 years ago uh, when we were doing one, I can't remember the exercise in my company, but we were told that, because, you know, there's always somebody, there was always somebody in the company who would show up with a crazy idea or they were disruptive or they were whatever. And we were told, and, and a lot of times they had ideas, they had great ideas, but how they how they presented them was like wacky. I guess they that sounds judgmental, sorry, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, in context. And the, the consultant that was working with us said, let's not focus on who's talking, let's focus on what they're trying to say. Right. And I thought that was really powerful because instead of going, oh, there goes Monica again, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, Monica's trying to say something. Let's let's see what it is. Let's explore it so that we understand it, as opposed right. to shutting it out because there's Monica. She always says these crazy things that we never understand. 
Right. Because when we when we say even that to ourselves, she always says these crazy mm-hmm. things. She's just being that certainty rearing its ugly head and preventing us from staying open and asking questions and thinking we might be wrong. I've I've learned this, you know, over and over again as a journalist, because so many times, especially early in my career, I just thought I'm going to go interview this person because I need a quote. But I already know their story. I read some things online, right? Someone already told me what they're going to say. But time and again, they would surprise me and there would be more depth than I expected, right? And a little tiny stupid part of me was annoyed. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? You know, like now I have to think about it a little deeper. I was like, yeah, I do. I'm a journalist. My job is to get the truth, not to get people to conform to my expectations. What's that? And we need to be doing the same thing for each other is... If, if what we are responding to and who we're talking to is the image of, you know, the image of Dave that's in my mind, what use is that? Yeah. I, I can't be talking to the image of you that's in my mind. That means that every time I go, that's Dave being Dave. Yeah. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> that means that and it also becomes self-fulfilling because you're going yeah. to hear, you're going to hear what you're listening for. Yeah, exactly. And then we um, do that. We do that a lot. <laughs> right. We do that all the time. Yeah, so so, we're all, so that the challenge is to allow ourselves to interrupt our thinking. Right. And that takes awareness first and foremost. Yeah. You have yeah. to notice that you're even doing it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, before, because I know the break is going to come screaming at us. So I'm going to give it, let's do it right now before we break it up. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, we've got, we've created enough interest and stuff like that. What are you working on right now that you want, uh, would like to share with us that you're excited about, mm. or how can we find your book mm. or how can we hear you and mm. all that other stuff? Uh, do a little, do, do the promo piece now, because I don't want to squeeze it in at the <laughs> end of the, because I saw how fast the break came. So I don't want to yeah. do I want to give you a, a great platform Oof. to promote who your greatness and who you are and the fun things that you're doing right now. Well, I feel very busy in, in wonderful ways. I, my, my work feels really fulfilling and connected and to, to lots of people who are equally, you know, frustrated by the status quo and how we tend to talk and really eager to put into practice some interventions that we know work. So I mentioned the nonprofit where I work. Uh, Braver Angels is the largest grassroots cross-partisan nonprofit working to depolarize America. It's a very tall order. It is, it's a movement. It's, it's all about the volunteers on the ground. Um, there's more than you know 10,000 volunteers, I think. There's 50,000 subscribers. We have almost 100 local chapters across the country. That's the engine, is, is people just in their communities going, enough. I want to figure out better ways to talk about this stuff and offering trainings and all of that. I'm really excited right now about Braver Politics, which is an initiative Braver Angels has that you can look up pretty easily. But this is the workshops and the trainings and all of these experiences that bring politically opposite people together happening now in the halls of power. So we've had members of the U S Congress go through these trainings. We've designed trainings for their staff uh, Mm. to be able to better listen to constituents that call their political officials on the phone and start yelling. You know, how do you get behind the anger to the real deep down concern that can make you a better uh, public servant, for example, all kinds of wonderful things happening there. Um, my website, moniguzman.com, M-O-N-I-G-U-Z-M-A-N.com. That's where you can sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter. So I enjoy taking <laughs> a breath and reflecting on whatever's been coming up over the last couple weeks. And uh, yeah, there's just so much. This is a huge, a huge topic. I'm traveling a lot these days. I was in Arkansas last week. I've got a bunch of East Coast travel uh, coming up and Anyway, it's it's nonstop in the best possible way. And so for anyone who wants to follow that journey, I'm moniguzman.com, you know, moniguzman on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and uh, braverangels.org is where a lot of the work is housed too. Great. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty, it is it is very timely because we're at a place, you know, definitely for me, that's, that's why this resonates for me is I feel like we're at a place where everybody's hurting, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're fearful. And we're at that. It, it, I think it's a tipping point kind of thing. Is is that it, it's it may get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get a point where it gets so bad that people are going to say, "Okay, I got to do something." Right. Exactly. And, and more and more people are hitting that tipping point. You know, on their own through Braver Angels, I've met just again just people in their communities, rural, urban. 
And when you ask them, so what brought you to Braver Angels? You know, sometimes you'll hear some real heartbreak. You know, a friend who I, I knew for 50 years, like I just talked to this woman in Arkansas last week, friend I knew for 50 years basically had to let her go because she she just wanted nothing to do with me anymore because I voted differently from her, you know, or the woman who has, and I mentioned her in the book, um, five grown children and they all just run the gamut from far left to far right. And Thanksgiving in 2017 was something none of them wants to repeat ever again and trying to figure out how to hold it together as a family. But it's also people who are just in their communities seeing the local issues, you know, homelessness, maybe you know, safety in schools or how we teach about race. And it's just looking at the discourse and going, we have to be better than this. What, like, aren't we smarter than this? What's this mudslinging craziness going on? So it's, it's on so many levels, people just thinking that. And also lots of people coming and just saying, I don't feel like I'm heard in my community, in wherever I am in my family. I'm not even being heard. It's like, I don't matter. And it's like people don't even see me and this sucks. And I don't feel like I can trust anybody anymore. So I think that the, the, hopefully this resonates with your listeners. I think people come at this a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons, but it's, it's that, it's that universality of experience that I think is going to drive the change we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it's a very interesting because um, I think, you know, I'm, one of my one of my stories is is that I have a 35 year old son who went through about a 12 year journey with a heroin addiction. Thank God he's you know in recovery for the last four years and has navigated through that that situation in a very positive way. But before his addiction experience, I had a, an idea about people who were addicts in quotes because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not mm -hmm. really PC, if you will. But mm -hmm. um, and I had a, you know, an opinion on that. And then I watched my son's journey and all the experiences. And then I got exposed to uh, people who were marginalized in a variety of ways. And that's when, for me, it's like softened my heart to what's going on in this world. It's like, you know, back to being, mm. you know, being heard, being valued, being um, uh, supported, um, it's and, and that's not just the people who are marginalized, but that's highlighted me. I started becoming more sensitive, you know, alert to that stuff. And it's like, yeah, wow. man, there's a lot of people who are hurting. Yeah. There are a lot of people who aren't being heard. They don't feel valued or loved or appreciated. Or and and the more we stand on the corner, yeah, you know, um, siloing and othering and all that other stuff, the more we're feeding that pain as opposed to healing the, our society um, in, in very powerful ways by hearing them and reaching out for them and understanding. So that's, 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 that's the story behind my story. You know, that, that's awesome. I mean, you experienced that, you experienced that personally, that there's no more powerful way, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to absorb some of those shocks. And when someone you love is going through that, then you see things very differently and then you want to advocate for that. But, you know, the world marches on with its own sets of assumptions. And I think that's, I talk in the book a lot about assumptions. It's a form yeah. of certainty, right? I assume because I should have asked, but I didn't. I just assumed. <laughs> like, yeah. what is that? And, uh, and, and I think that when society marches forward, what one of the ways that we know we're marching forward is that we are recognizing more of our assumptions and pausing at them so that we can see what's real in people's lives. And mm -hmm. that's great. It's going to make everything harder. It's going to make harder to figure out how we all live together, what our laws and norms should be, because now we've got even more to material that we have to somehow fit into this crazy puzzle. But good. That makes mm -hmm. our society better. You know, mm -hmm. it's we level up. Yep. You know, one of the, um, back to the the conversation we had before the break, and I wanted to bring this up because you triggered this for me again, was one of my favorite stories in the book was, um, and again, I might paraphrase this wrong, but uh, you you watched your mom um, respond to a gay couple. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool because you had an assumption how your mom was going to respond to mm -hmm. that visual image of a couple of being affectionate and showing their love for each other. So, oh, yeah, my mom's going to freak out or whatever, or something like that. And she did just the opposite. 
Mm-hmm. She recognized and, and and acknowledged their their love for each other. Mm-hmm. I think is the way I heard it. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. it actually surprised her too. <laughs> so so you know she um, you know raised Catholic, Mexican Catholic, more traditional you know ideas, and we've we've had this conversation a long time, and and yeah, the, the, she shared this with me when she was telling me basically that she was starting to change her mind about same-sex marriage and same-sex couples and that a formative moment for her was just walking down the street in Boston where she lived, seeing a, a gay couple in front of her. She didn't initially notice that it was two men. One man leaned over and just affectionately kissed the other one on the on the forehead. And it, there was this recognition of just love. Like, it was just love. I know that love. What's there to be scared of? You know, and 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 it was that sort of warm reception that she felt just witnessing that that sort of surprised her. And she was like, wait a minute. Huh. <laughs> okay. And so then she did a bunch of, of reflecting and just started to see it see it differently, you know? Um, yeah, and, and it sort of goes back to your story too. It's when when we experience things, it can be the opportunity to understand how we really feel. Uh, or to p- potentially change it. But but I think it brings up an important point, which is, I can't change your mind. You can't change mine. Mm-hmm. I change my own mind. I am the only person who can change my mind. You could influence the way I think about things by sharing your perspective while you listen to mine. That's the way. When you're calibrated with another person, when I get you and you get me and then you tell me something that might affect the way I see things and adds another layer I hadn't thought of before, I might choose to change my mind. That's mm-hmm. how that works. Mm-hmm. That's very true. You know, we, we've talked about that in, in, other, um, in other episodes is um, I, can, I can offer you, I can have a great conversation with you. I can be kind. I can be loving. I can be open. I can be receptive. I can have a great message. But I can't control how that influences you, how that exactly. how you how you respond to it. I, I I can have influence; it'll make you think, but it doesn't mean you're going to do or say or respond the way I want you to respond because that's, right. that's your choice. That's your call. Exactly. All right. I can all I can do is love you as in the best way possible and communicate yep. with you in the best way possible and hope that we find a way to you know walk this together. That's know. right. And and when someone understands that someone else really cares about them, they are also truly cares and respects and accepts them, they will also be more open to, well, is there something you think I could do differently? You know, but most of the time that's not how we it's not how we see each other. How dare you tell me what to do? You know, mm-hmm. there has to be some genuine trust and caring. And sometimes people question that in each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's a lot of knots to untangle. So are you? Um, a question popped in my head, but are you advocating the fact that arguments can't be won? No, no, because <laughs> arguments are really important. Debates okay. are important. I guess I would question what we mean by one. You know, okay. what does it mean to win? But one of the reasons I'm doing this work is is not because I think persuade persuasion is bad. It's because I think it's broken and it needs to be fixed. Persuasion as an as a social and civil act, I don't think works very well when there's this little trust across communities of difference. Mm-hmm. So we've dried up the well of trust. I don't think we even realized how much we needed it until it was gone. <laughs> you know, we've had disagreements a long time, but it's the lack of trust that leads to the overvilification and the exaggeration that just makes us all kind of act in these ways that that seem just excessive so it's that it's it's restoring trust is what's going to make persuasion effective again because if i know that you have my best interest at heart and you know that i have your best interest at heart then whatever sort of intel i can add to some topic that we are discussing and exploring together you might really accept and say wow i never thought of it that way and and it might really influence the way you think. But I didn't share that because I think you are bad and I want to change you. Mm. You know, but I might have shared that because I genuinely think this is a better idea. And so I'm going to make that case in hopes that it resonates with you. Um, and the more I learn about you, if this is truly a good idea, 
then hopefully the more persuasive I can be that even for you, this is a better idea. And I know we're talking in abstract, but mm-hmm. I've seen that work over and over again. You know, debate, deliberative debate is awesome, but it requires trust that the other party has the best interest at heart, that we're not trying to manipulate each other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tr- so at the core of it is trust. I trust the I, I, I trust the heart, the intent, the commitment of the person that I'm interacting with. So yeah. if I don't if I don't trust them, we're not gonna have healthy dialogue or we're not going to, we're not really going to lead to, um, to effective change because we're, we're really fighting about whether I can believe you and trust you. Exactly. And then whatever it is that we think we're talking about, we're not really talking about that. We're talking (laughs) about who matters more, who matters more, who matters more. It's like, yo, we all matter the same. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about the ideas. But, but that's, that's the problem with condescension. We have to be very careful that we're not approaching other people like we're better than them. And that happens a lot across the divide in, in political polarization. Yeah, that's okay. I was just thinking of me driving down the street and calling people morons for the move that they're making. So that's <laughs> yeah. condescension, right? Out of the gate. <laughs> yep. You know, I remember a story a long time ago. I won't use the state, but I lived in one state and I was very loyal to the other state that I was from. And um, I would say, well, that person drives like crap because they're from such and such a state. And my wife says to me, she's realized that you're living in that state. And I was so determined <laughs> that I lived in that state for two years and never got my license plate changed. I would send my registration to the state that I was from. So I never was quote unquote officially on my car oh tagged my as from that state because I didn't want to be seen as from the state because of my condescension towards it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's, I'm thinking like, oh gosh, it's, that's, that's pretty toxic. Yeah. You go to the, the, it's funny. Yeah. Ha ha. But when you really think at its core, is that I don't want to be known as from that state. I don't want to have that affiliation. So the determination that I went to not have that affiliation was work, but I worked at not having the affiliation as opposed to finding reasons why I could like accept or embrace the affiliation. Right. And isn't that, isn't that astounding? That's a, that's a, that's an, that's an amazing example. You know, also because we know that there's not a whole lot of evidence that all drivers from one state are just horrifically bad and much worse than everybody else. But Eh, you know, we make our own determinations in the moment. And if, if we feel attached to them, then we will go to some great lengths to avoid, avoid, avoid. Right. But yeah. there's, there might be data that supports that. But, you know, that, that, there's a saying I learned a long time ago is liars figure and figures lie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So data, you know, data works too. Um, I like them writing that down. Liars <laughs> figure and figures, and figures lie. lie. Dang. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> because we because we you know it goes back to that whole thing is back to the filters right so we can use data we can use data as a filter just like we use our personal experiences as a filter we if you're looking to if you're expecting something if i'm expecting something from you right and you do it say yeah there's monica being monica Uh, right but if i look and say i wonder how monica is going to show up today and i'm going to i'm going to embrace you know whatever shows up then I discover something, I have the potential to discover something that I've never seen before. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Love great, it. great point. Love it. Okay, so now tell me, um, and it, I, this is probably, it's funny that it's at the end of the inter- interview, but um, what inspired you to write the book? Because hmm. books, books aren't easy, and they're, I know you're a writer, and you have your newsletter, and you know, you're a journalist and all that stuff, but you know, what, what made you decide that, you know, I got to put, I got to put words, I got a voice, I have a story. What, you know, what inspired you to do that? Yeah. Uh, my, my parents, the conversations that we've had, but in particular, I think what really animated it, you know, if I'm honest is what I heard a lot of my friends also on the left say about people who voted for Trump and, and realized that they were talking about my parents. Mm-hmm. And knowing that my parents are not these horrible things that they're saying, but not knowing how to tell them that was really hard, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling like I just lived in a place where everyone just had all these beliefs and no one was challenging them because the Seattle's very Democrat, very blue, very, mm-hmm. you know, very, very, <laughs> very sure that there's a lot of threat, which is not to say that there isn't. There's there's some high stakes issues out there that we need to sort out and they're not they're not easy. Um, but yeah, I just didn't know how, where to begin. It wasn't something I could just say, well, you know, and then say something for a minute and be done with it. I was like, I need, I need some longer, (laughs) 
it's like it's like a mindset, right? I, I need to try to get something of, of this stuff that's swirling around in my mind and heart and that I'm seeing out there down on paper to try to help explain to people who see other people as so awful that they're not and, and that it is keeping them even from seeing themselves. Mm-hmm. But how do you, where do you begin? And that was really the book. It was awesome. It is, it is such a great book. Um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I think, like I, like I said, I think the, the thing that jumped out at me for that book, you know, really to summarize it was one of the things I'd like to compliment, encourage people to read the book for the reason is that you, not only do you tell a story and you give great examples, but then you give some application, you, you know, towards the end of the book. So let, try this. When you're here, think of these things, you know, to create some awareness to where our minds normally go and how do we interrupt that to take our minds to a different place. And I really, I really appreciated the, the, the level of time and effort you put into that because that's not easy. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a great one for expressing opinions at a very high level and I'm kind of black and white in that regard, but you went down and so let's talk about the how you can, uh, if we did this, how are we going to do that? I thought that was beautiful, Monica. So, you know, a good, yeah, thank a you. good spin to that. I, uh, I, I don't know if you could tell, but it took, I put a lot of effort into making sure that my examples were equally red and blue, equally liberal and conservative. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I said you as the reader, I would assume you were liberal. And sometimes mm-hmm. I would assume you were conservative. Um, a lot of what I see in a lot of books out there in this space, don't do that. And it's sort of very clearly very liberal, most of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very clearly coming from the right. And I'm going, if this book only reaches one side of this divide, it will have failed utterly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked really hard on that. And from from my conservative friends, it sounds like it 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 paid off. Yeah, I think it was I think it was very great. The only one the only thing that ever jumped out, just you know, kind of funny, I don't know how you feel about it, mm-hmm. but um you registered your frustration in a male-dominated society. <laughs> Oh. You registered. You registered that several times. You kind of like said, "Yeah, but of course that's men talking," or "Of course that's this." You did a couple of things, and did I thought, I? I, "Yeah, you did." Well, it just jumped out at me. That was my takeaway. Maybe you know my filter, but yeah. I thought it was okay because I'm a, I'm a white male who grew up in a privileged environment, so I'm eh. pretty I'm pretty sensitive being called out because I realize I need to be more aware that I grew could, up. Could you please? I would love. I nothing comes to mind when you say that, which means I'm missing it. Can you tell me later, like offline, like where those places are? Oh, I'll dig them because up for you. Because sure. I don't even remember, and yeah. I I want to know that because I, I took I, I kind of took play it as role. well. It was okay because I took it as chuckle chuckle, you know, because you know that. But like I said, you know, you were talking about you know neutral. That was the only thing. And, and again, it's not. I don't. I don't want you to take it as a criticism or critical thinking. I I find it kind of in, in entertaining because you did it with a was. I don't know. Sass is the right word, but you did it in a really cool mm. way. It's kind of, but I, okay. I will dig that up. No, for but you. please let me know because because criticism is awesome, and what I want is to be aware of all of these different kinds of resonances. I mean, there was there was a woman who gave gave the book a one star review on Amazon because she said that how could someone who is writing a book about you know open discourse and being open minded take the Lord's name in vain? And in the introduction, I had used uh, G Dam, right? Like G. Uh-huh. And in the reprint, I took that out. Yeah. That wasn't my intention. It's just the way I talk. But I unintentionally alienated someone for whom, you know, the commandments and the way you talk and her faith are that important. And I didn't see that. And I don't, I learned. Yeah. Well, that's true. You know, it's like, and you didn't, you, you didn't see it. You didn't like, oh my gosh. It's a disaster. I failed. It's more like thank you for sharing, so that yeah. I can. You back to your things earlier, saying how can we? How can I make this better? Exactly. And I don't. Uh, I don't want men reading this thinking that I'm like throwing shade their way. No, no well, it I don't want I that at all. I well, I don't think that's really what it was. Like I said, I just it, it just hit me. But anyway, we're um, unfortunately yeah. we are out of time. It goes so fast when we have such great guests and <laughs> such great conversation. But Monica, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. This was great. This was fantastic. Thank you for these questions and conversation. I loved it. And thanks for the book. Um, if you guys don't read this book, I'm going to be very disappointed. I never thought of it that way. This is a book that you just absolutely positively need to read, and it's very timely. And uh, so for, for Dave Cook and Monica Guzman, I'm going to say uh, you guys have a great week. And remember, open your ears, 
Open your heart, open your mind, stop telling and start listening. Because once you start listening, everything changes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.